UK Healthcare, the power of advanced medicine, presents our doctor and med staff pod chats. This is UK HealthCast. Here's Melanie Cole. Pelvic floor disorders affect so many women, including me, I must admit. So urinary incontinence, fecal incontinence, pelvic organ prolapse are all things that can happen to women, and it can be uncomfortable and embarrassing to discuss. Well, here to tell us about that today is my guest, Dr. Rudolf Tovar. He's an associate professor in the division of GYN subspecialties at UK Health. Dr. Tovar, the first question that I think so many of us wonder about is, are pelvic floor disorders a normal part of aging? Are we just supposed to accept it and move on? Uh, they can occur with aging, but they're not a normal part uh, to be accepted. So tell us a little bit about the different types that you see and what are some of the common causes for them? Well, pelvic floor disorders is fairly broad, and that can be talking about uh, prolapse of the pelvic organs, which would be where the bladder or the bowel or the, the uterus seems to bulge from the vaginal opening. Uh, and uh, this commonly com comes with the urinary incontinence um, and, and occasionally fecal incontinence. That can occur with uh, a traumatic birth delivery. Um, it can occur with uh, pelvic trauma uh, uh, related to chronic constipation, uh, where you're constantly having to bear down. It could occur from a chronic smoker who has um, bouts of bronchitis more frequently than somebody that's a non-smoker, where they're always coughing and bearing down into the pelvic floor. This could be differentiated from pelvic floor dysfunction, which is more of a muscular uh, disorder. So yes, there are so many different kinds, and you mentioned dramatic birth, but are some of these things like you know, the different types of urinary incontinence, can't they just because of pregnancy, normal pregnancy, some women just are going to be more susceptible than others? Uh, there does appear to be a genetic link uh, in some women. However, um, not every woman has incontinence in pregnancy. About 30% will experience some level of uh, urinary incontinence during pregnancy, but that frequently or often resolves within three to four months postpartum. And then as we get older, and because we were pregnant, then is that another common cause that, you know, if you had been pregnant, had a few children, that this is something that, you know, can happen? Not necessarily just because of pregnancy. And that was illustrated when looking at twins, where one twin had babies and the other didn't. Uh, the difference was the, the woman who had had children develop the symptoms at an earlier age, uh, whereas the other uh, may have began to experience more symptoms in a postmenopausal age. Wow, how interesting. So then let's talk about when it's time to see a physician to assess the situation, because as I said in my intro, Dr., not everybody wants to discuss these things. It's a little embarrassing. You're not sure who to see. So when is it time to see a physician? Well, I would say when the problem is keeping you from doing your regular activities, it's keeping you from going out in public, going out to um, meet friends, uh, exercise, um, more uh, optimally, you, you would uh, have some knowledge of it before the symptoms even began. Um, but where we see most patients is when the symptoms have already started. 
So then first talk about some non-surgical treatments that you might try first for pelvic floor issues, pelvic floor PT, kegels, you know, bladder training. What do you recommend that people try first? I recommend uh, pelvic floor therapy, uh, and that doesn't necessarily just include the physical therapist. Uh, you can start by doing Kegels. Um, and there are apps for it. Uh, there are books with instruction. There are devices you can buy to help you. Um, but it's more than just squeezing and, and letting go. Uh, a therapist or, or myself, we might say, contract that muscle you contract, stop urine flow, uh, and then relax it. Um, but, but when you see a therapist, they take it to another level where you're holding that contraction for longer periods of time and then learning to relax it as well. Uh, so I would begin uh, with uh, attention towards the pelvic floor. And then if you've done those, and you mentioned pelvic floor physical therapy, which is really a, a, a newer and burgeoning field, what's next? We see commercials for medications and, you know, women running to the bathroom. And what do we think about those? Are there medications to help? There are medications. I will say real quickly, um, the issue with the, the therapy is that it takes months for it to work and it stops working if you quit. So even if I move on to a medication, I'm going to encourage a patient to continue working on the pelvic floor and weight loss and, and multiple other modifiable risk factors. Now, there are medications that you can use to treat certain types of urinary incontinence, specifically urgency incontinence, which is the leakage you might see when you're trying to get to the bathroom or when you're in a car and you feel the urge to uh, urinate and the minute your keys hit your front door, it, it, you urinate all over yourself. Um, those medications are called anticholinergics. You might see a commercial where they're singing the, the, the jingle, gotta go, gotta go. Uh, and that treats that urgency type of incontinence. If we've tried pelvic floor physical therapy, and we continue with that therapy. You've discussed medications with us. What are some other interventions you might try, whether they are injections or, in some cases, surgical intervention? So you can use a pessary. A pessary is a, a often silicone device. It's inserted uh, vaginally. It serves the purpose of placing the pelvic organs in their proper location doesn't fix it, but it does keep it from getting worse in it. And it, in some ways, it will mimic what surgery would do. These uh, pessaries designed specifically for urinary incontinence come with a knob uh, that sits right below where urine exits the body, the, the urethra. Uh, similarly, you would look at a bulking agent. Uh, you can do periurethral bulking, which is where we would insert a camera through the urethra uh, after you've been numbed, of course, and then you're injecting a bulking agent just below the urethra so that when when you got pressure on the bladder, it also closes the, uh, the urethra by applying pressure there. Then you can look at um, treatment like Botox. Uh, and Botox would also treat urgency incontinence, and that's aimed at reducing the uh, involuntary bladder spasms that lead to urinary incontinence. And then one other common uh, treatment is neuromodulation, which it'd be easier just to go by the, the trade name, which is Interstem, which is basically like putting a pacemaker in for your bladder. Uh, two procedures, there's a testing procedure uh, that we uh, allow you to essentially test drive the treatment for a week to 10 days. If there's success in that, 
then we move on to placing a permanent pacemaker-like device uh, in the lower back. How interesting. Thank you for describing many of those types of procedures. So are women comfortable discussing this? If you were speaking to other providers, Dr. Tovar, or to women listening, how would you advise them to start that discussion? Should it be something we discuss in our well visits? How does that discussion begin? I think if you're doing a typical general health examination and you're working a review of systems or a head-to-toe questionnaire, one of the symptoms that uh, you would be looking for is bladder control. And it could start simply by that question, do you leak urine when you don't want to? Do you leak stool when you don't want to? But I would encourage, and I have encouraged general practitioners to incorporate it into their annual visit. There's occasionally um, uh, modifications to medicines that can be made like a diuretic. And, and that would come up, obviously, more in a general practice than it would in mine. Uh, so I do encourage other physicians to ask about it uh, because it can certainly lead to other uh, effects such as you need to exercise. Well, I don't exercise because I pee all over the treadmill. So uh, it's certainly important. It certainly is. And thank you so much for such great information, doctor. And thank you for joining us today. That wraps up this episode of UK HealthCast with the University of Kentucky HealthCare. To learn more about pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgery at UK HealthCare, head on over to our website at ukhealthcare.uky.edu for more information and to get connected with one of our providers. If you found this podcast as informative as I did, please share with your friends and family and share on your social media. Be sure to check out all the other interesting podcasts in our library. I'm Melanie Cole.